Today we're going to talk about love one another. I love chocolate cake, I love ice cream, I love cookies, I love love. What does love really mean from God's point of view? Love is the compassionate and righteous seeking of the well-being of another. But why is it important in our connection to God? We're going to discover today that our vertical relationship with God must be manifested in our horizontal relationship with others. And when it is, you get to experience more of God. When it's not, you're experiencing less of God. So if you want more of God's love, give some of that love out and he'll be delighted to let you feel what his love for you looks like. Let's take this tour of love from God's point of view and you'll discover love like you've never quite understood it before. We're talking about the horizontal Jesus. What it looks like when our vertical relationship with God gets connected with our horizontal relationship with each other. When that connection takes place, something very powerful is in the mix. And we are able to experience God at a whole nother level. You know, designers are known for their trademarks. Companies are known for their logos. We all have birthmarks, something that is distinctive on our bodies. Well, God has a logo. He has a trademark, something that identifies him like nothing else. And that something is called love. Love. Probably the central one another in Scripture is loving one another. Now, this word gets used for everything. I love chocolate cake. I love ice cream. I love dressing up. I love, you know, I love love. It just, the word gets thrown around very flippantly. And it gets used very conveniently, like, uh, like the girl who, who wrote a boyfriend, ex-boyfriend, actually. They'd broken up and things weren't going well. And, she wanted to reconnect with him. And so she wrote him a letter. Said, Bill, I, I, I just love you. I just adore you. I just miss you so much. Bill, I can't get you off of my mind. Bill, if we don't reconnect, I'm going to go crazy. I love you so much. Signed, Betty. P.S. Congratulations on winning the lottery. Yes. <laughs> Love can get real selfish real quick, you know. And sometimes it's, it's not as, as difficult because sometimes it's kind of obvious. Like the guy was out on the golf course and, you know, he was playing golf and a, and a funeral came by. They were near the street. A funeral came by, funeral possession, and he was up to do a puck and he, he stopped right where he was and dropped to his knees as the procession came by. His golfing buddy said, excuse me, I've never quite seen this before. You drop to your knees? You drop to your knees while, while, while a procession come by? Boy, that's, that's really honoring. He said, yeah, we were married for 35 years. Right? <laughs> you know. 
So this thing of love can be very confusing. What is love? God's definition. Agape. What is this thing that love really means? Simply stated, love is compassionately and righteously seeking the well-being of another. Let me say that again. Love is compassionately and righteously seeking the well-being of others, and it is the centerpiece of God's relationship with us and the relationship he wants us to have with others because it really reflects who he is since God is love. We find this command to love each other in John. The Gospel of John says in chapter 13, when John, who was the beloved of Jesus, so he understood this thing about love. He says in verse 34, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Please notice that discipleship wouldn't be driven by how much doctrine you knew, how many Bible studies you went to, how many verses you've memorized. None of that would be the way people would know that you are a sincere, serious, dedicated follower of Jesus Christ. He said the way you were going to know that is when folks see you loving one another. So this is no small thing. This is no minor thing. Notice he calls it a commandment. I thought love was a feeling. He said, no, I'm commanding you to do it. In fact, Jesus was asked in, in Matthew chapter 22, he was asked, in verse 37, he was asked, uh, you know, what, what's the great commandment? What, what's, of all the commandments, there's 613 statutes and ordinances, 10 commandments. What's the greatest? There's so much to remember. Jesus said, well, let me make this real easy for you. He says, love God. And love your neighbor, and you will have fulfilled the law of God. So if you can't remember 613 and you forget 10, just hang on to two, and you got it. Vertically love God, horizontally love one another. He summarizes this as the key, and he says it's a commandment. Why? Can you command love? Well, yeah, if it's a decision, you can. Love may or may not be accompanied by emotions. In fact, we're even told to love our enemies. Well, he's not telling you to have butterflies in your stomach about folk who don't like you. What he's telling you is to make a decision, even if it's about folk who don't like you, that you will be compassionate while at the same time being righteous. See, if you're compassionate and you're just feeling sorry for folk, you might be unrighteous in what you do. But if you are righteous, you got a standard, but without a heart, then you can tell the truth and be cold as ice. But when you're compassionate and righteous, people know you care, but they know you have a standard in your care. You're going to call wrong, wrong. You're going to call right, right. But you're seeking their good in the decision. You have loved whether or not, the, you know, feelings of love come and go. 
One moment you're in love, then you get married and you find out you fell out. <laughs> as long as it's a feeling, it's going to have ebbs and it's going to have flows. But the key thing about this love is that it was a key to discipleship. Discipleship is that, is that process whereby God grows us from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. He says the way you grow in discipleship is that you grow in love. So that means that the church has got to be a place where you keep bumping in the love, where you keep running into folk who love you and folk whom you love because you're building community and relationship. You're building what Jesus Christ defines as the centerpiece of what it means to be a follower of his. We all know the story of uh, Beauty and the Beast. You got this ugly creature and you've got this lady who loved him. He wasn't lovely to look at, but she found something good in a bad looking situation. And if you know the story, you watch the beast change into a prince when he fell in love. Why? Because biblical love has within it the power to change you. It has the power to melt you. It has the power to heal you. It has the power to grow you when it is God's definition of love. But you see, the kind of love we are falling into today in this self-absorbed society is self-love. You know, I love me. And anything that does not enhance my love for me, I don't have time for. But that's not the commandment. The commandment is love one another. He's telling the disciples and he's telling you and me that in our spiritual family, there ought to be connections of love where people are compassionately and righteously caring for the well-being, the spiritual enhancement of one another. Many Christians are like, uh, are like my, uh, my, my daughter when she was at home, my oldest daughter. For those who don't know who she is, I'm not going to name her. <laughs> those who know who she is, know who she is. Uh, but she would often want to come out to eat or come out to get fed and to take the food in her room where she could do her thing without being connected to the family. In other words, she didn't want to be at the table because she was beginning to be a teenager now and she wanted to do her thing in private. I said, no, we're we going to eat as a family. But I don't want to eat as a family. I got stuff to do. Just feed me. <laughs> a lot of folk come to church and say, just feed me. I don't care about the family. Just cook it up. Serve it nice. And don't give me no bad sermon. I ain't get up in the morning for no bad sermon. <laughs> don't give me any bad music. I don't want any bad music. Feed me. But I don't have time to be at the table. So what they want are the benefits of the vertical without a connection of the horizontal. And God's just not into that. Because he says, I want you to love one another. I want this connection. I want the atmosphere, the environment of the family of God to not only be what happens on the stage, but what happens from pew to pew, member to member, life to life, in our small groups, in our connectedness, let's have uh, an explosion of love. You see, 
when you forget God's love for you, then you're not going to exercise God's love for others through you. And God is the most taken for granted person in the universe. God loves us with an eternal love. He's going to love us forever and he wants us to share a little something, something along the way with other people who are desperately looking for love in all the wrong places. You know, uh, folks go to bars because they're looking for love. Folks go to clubs because they're looking for love. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> they, they're going to looking for, looking for some some place to become connected relationally. Well, they ought to be able to find it in the family of God and find it authentically, not where you're being used and abused, but where you're being cared for and related to. Uh, this same daughter who will go nameless <laughs> was just not functioning well with the family. She wanted to make it all about her when she was a teenager. It was about her. It was about her. Everything was about her. And we got in a little father-daughter altercation. It was one of the days when I forgot I was a preacher. And we got into a father and daughter altercation. To which she said, I'm going to my room. I said, where are you going? She said, I'm going to my room. Because she walked out while I was talking. <laughs> oh, no, you didn't. Where are you going? I'm going to my room. In the wisdom that the Holy Ghost gave me at that moment, I said, oh, no, 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 no. You're not going to your room. You're going to my room I let you sleep in. You ain't paid a note. You don't help with air conditioning. You don't help with heat. You don't buy any food. Ain't no my room. See, she had gotten used, so used to being provided for that she assumed this was hers and disconnected from the rest of the family. God's been good to us and he wants that goodness to be connected with others with compassion, without compromise of standards so that we're rightly related to one another. Galatians 5, 6 says, faith is to express itself in love. That if you really trust God, it ought to say, you know, when you have a, when you have a cold, you're going to have symptoms. It's going to be clear. You're going to be uh, sneezing or coughing or feverish. There's going to be a visible indication something's going on inside. The visible demonstration that you and God are hot is that it's overflowing to somebody else. If you are a loveless saint, then that means your relationship with God is out of whack. Amen. Let me prove that to you in 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. We find the same concept by the same author and he talks about love because of the special relationship that he had with Jesus Christ. He says, beloved, verse 7, let us love one another. Same phrase. He says, for love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So he says, if you are 
a loving Christian is because you know God and because you in fact have experienced God. Knows God has to do with intimacy with God. The one who does not love does not know God for God is love. He's not saying the one who doesn't love is not saved. That's being born of God. He says the one who does not love does not know God, meaning we are not in intimate fellowship with one another. So we have a lot of folk fooling us on Sunday morning. They're waving a hand in the air like they just don't care. They're jumping, they're shouting, they, they, they are uh, uh, saying amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. amen. See, that's what y'all just did. They're saying amen. And they, you know, they, they, they're carrying on like they and God are tight. But they are the meanest. They are uh, the, the ones with the least amount of compassion. They hold no standards, but they love the Lord. He says, no, they don't. Don't be tricked. Now, none of us is perfect, and we all know what it is to have a bad day, but this is talking about the temperature of your life. That's why he says, for the love of God was manifested. When you have a cold, there's going to be a manifestation. There's going to be a demonstration. So time must be spent when it comes to the family of God. Time must be spent in cultivating a loving atmosphere where people care about people in a righteous way. People ought to say about us as the family of God, wow, how they love one another. Not how much they know, how much they care. He calls it a commandment because it is a divine expectation. Because God, in fact, is love. In fact, he not only says it's a commandment, he says it's a new commandment. Now, why would he call it new? It's not new that God is love. It's not new that, that God wants us to, 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 to love because he is love. Why is it new? Well, the word new has the idea of fresh. For example, when the sun comes up in the morning, it's a new day. It's a new day with an old sun. That, that's the same sun that was here yesterday. But the yesterday sun is giving us a new day experience. Okay? In other words, it's giving us a fresh reality of the presence of a new day. There is a freshness that comes with love that is refreshing and new. When you know somebody cares about you, when you care about somebody else, that is something that enhances their well-being and that, that cultivates freshness in their lives. And so he says this new commandment, leading up to this verse in John 13, he keeps talking about the glory of God, the glory of God, the glory of God, the glory of God. Why? The glory means putting God on display. It means showing God off. It means highlighting God. Okay, a lot of, ladies, a lot of you ladies know what glory is. Every time you go in front of the mirror and put on makeup, that's called glory. What you're doing is embellishing your look. Well, God is looking good all the time, but we can make him look bad with lovelessness. He says, embellish my look. Since I'm invisible, make me visible and make me pretty. 
by the compassionate and righteous seeking of the well-being of others. Just as a good cooked meal will draw you into the kitchen, a loving flock will draw people into the family of God because it just smells good when you're in an environment where people care. So he says we ought to love one another. Going back to 1 John chapter 4, he says, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He says, love takes the initiation. Not that we loved him first, is he loved us first by sending his son. So you don't wait to be loved in order to love. You take the initiative like we talked before about give. You take the initiative and God has got you covered on the back end. Beloved, if God so loved us, verse 11, we also ought to love one another. Here's our phrase again, love one another. No one has seen God at any time. So if you thought you saw God, that was pizza. That was not God. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, he keeps talking about this, God abides in us. Oh, there's our word. There's our word. Let me park here. The word abide means hangs out with. It means to loiter. It means to stay in the vicinity of. Many of God's children are carrying on a long distance relationship with God. He doesn't feel comfortable hanging out with them. Some of you may have some family members you don't feel comfortable hanging out with. They got your name, but you don't want to see them. Okay? Some of them you don't care if you never see them again. Some of them you wish they'd change their name. I mean, it's just, you know, because they make you uncomfortable. There are a lot of churches God doesn't go in on Sunday. He's not comfortable there. And they may be orthodox to the core in their belief but unloving in their presence. There is no compassionate and righteous seeking of the well-being of others. And as a result, there is no abiding or hanging out with God. And they wonder why prayers aren't being answered. They don't ever feel the closeness of God. They don't ever see God working because he, he's not comfortable. Some folk invite, they invite you over to their house. You don't want to go there. You ever been to a place that makes you feel uncomfortable? You don't want to go there even if they invited you to come, okay? So what he is saying is that this love manifests itself and you haven't seen God, but God abides in the atmosphere of love and his love, watch this, is perfected in us. Remember, when the vertical connects with the horizontal, you are getting a greater experience with God. So guess what God says he's going to do? He's going to abide with you, give you a greater experience of his presence, and he's going to let you feel more of his love for you. So here it is. You're showing love for others. He's going to give you more love of him. So the way to get more love of God is, to go, oh, God, help me love you more. God, I want to love you so much more. Lord, I'm not loving you like I want to love you. He's saying, well, you better go out there and love somebody. You better, you better seek the well-being of others and you've created room for more of me in your life, in your life. Uh, a lot of cities, like our own, have HOV lanes. HOV lanes are for high occupancy vehicles. In other words, you can't travel there by yourself. 
uh, or you're going to get a ticket. They're going to penalize you for being alone. So on a high traffic day, I know some of y'all have tried it. So, so, but on a high traffic day, you stuck in traffic and you look over and there, a lot of people just so whisking by, so whisking by. Or an accident, so whisking by. And you just stuck out there in traffic. If I only had somebody with me, I could go into this private lane. Because it's not for the public. This is private as long as you're not traveling alone. God has a private lane. It's for abiders. It is for people who carry somebody with them. It is for people who carry somebody with them and they get the traffic down this private route, this abiding relationship with God that's, that's not open for general public. You got to have somebody with you. And that is what he's offering us, a new experience of intimacy with him. Not only that, but notice something very special. I'm going to give you something special now. Verse 17. By this, love is perfected with us. You see, he keeps talking about love. So that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in the world. Ah. He says, love, because you loved others, will give you confidence in the day of judgment. Let's talk about that. One day... All of us are going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. At the judgment seat of Christ, a judgment for believers, is where awards and rewards will be handed out for how we lived our Christian lives while on earth. God is going to run the tape and everyone will give an account. Now, some of us already want to burn the tape, okay? Because there are a lot of bad clips on that tape. Oh, ooh, I did that. Ooh, I thought that. Ooh, I said that. Ooh, you know, bad clips on that tape. And we hope we don't die right now because we, 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 we need some new reel. When my son Jonathan was uh, going from college to the NFL. They wanted highlight tape. Highlight tape. Highlight tapes are the clips of your best plays. The clips of your best plays. It's when you scored a touchdown. It's when you caught a pass. It's when you made a block. Nobody puts failures on a highlight tape. You don't put where you dropped the ball. You don't put where you missed the block. You don't, put, you, don't, you don't put that on no highlight tape. Highlight tape is where you showing off, okay? NFL scouts came and looked at all of his tapes. So on the tapes they look, looked at, they saw failure, mistakes, things that didn't hit quite right but not on his highlight tape. His highlight tape didn't have any of that on it. When he was interviewed, they said, we saw your highlight tape and we like A, B, C, D, and E. They knew 
about failures on the total tape. But they discussed the highlight tape. All of us have failures on our tape. When we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, he'll know the whole reel. The good, the bad, and the ugly. So uh, you need a highlight reel. You need a reel that's so impressive that it overrides the flaws that the Lord has already seen on the big tape. And if your highlight reel is strong enough, he says you will have confidence in the day of judgment because you will so impress the Lord with your love that it will overrule and as chapter 5 says, overcome that which is not so pretty to remember or to look at. So the way to make sure that you get the maximum reward from the Lord Jesus Christ is be a loving Christian. You need to find people to love if you don't know somebody. You need to, you need to create people to love. You need to say, hey, anybody loving you? Okay, come on, let's go. Because you are creating now a highlight reel. When I was in elementary school, we had a janitor. And I got to know this man. I don't know how I got to know this man. I don't know all the factors in getting to know this man, but somehow we developed this, this, this relationship. And I always saw him going down these steps because back when I was in elementary school, they had radiators in the classrooms. And that's how you got your heat, through the radiators. I always saw him going down these steps. And I asked him, I don't remember his name now, but I asked him, why do you always go down these steps? And he said, oh, come on, go with me. And he took me down to what they called the boiler room. The boiler room had this huge tank. And he explained to me that this tank is kept full of water. And it is kept at a boiling temperature. And the steam from the water goes through the pipes into the radiators in the, each classroom so that when you turn on the radiator, heat can now flow in the key, each classroom to keep you warm. He said, this thing handles so much water, it was huge. But I said, but how do you know how much water is in there? And that's when he showed it to me. At the top of the boiler was a little tube. And the little tube had water halfway up the tube. He said, it's too hot to look inside the boiler. But I can tell what's inside the boiler by what I see on the tube. If the tube has got half water in it, it's because the boiler has got half water in it. If the tube is three-fourths full, it's because the Boiler is three-fourths full. So the way I know what's in there is what I see up here. You can tell me how much you love God, but I can't see that. I can't see what's in your heart. You can't see what's in my heart. You can tell me, I, I, you know, I, I'm in love with the Lord. I love him with all my heart, mind, might, and soul, but I can't see that. But there's a tube. And the tube, God says, that you can see will let others know what they can't see. Because if you've got a half-hard love for God, you're going to show a half-hard love for others. 
If you got no real love for God, you won't have much real love for others. But if you're hot on fire for God, you're going to be hot on fire for others. Because what's in your heart will show up in the tube of your love for others. Remember, your vertical love for God will be manifested in your horizontal love for others.